This is the Tom Bernard Show. Sitting in for Tom, I'm Dave Schrader, along with... Tevin Pittman. And DeBaron Bernard. And Cassie Schrader. We've got interesting conversations coming up next. Kathy Kleiner joins us to discuss Ted Bundy here on the Tom Bernard Show. Join us every Thursday at 2 o'clock Central for our newest podcast, Car Selling Secrets. It'll be co-hosted by me, Tom Bernard, and Doug Sprinthal from Walzer Automotive Group. We'll be talking about lots of stuff relating to how dealership sales actually work, as well as the latest product updates from nearly every make sold in the USA. If you have questions for the podcast, either email Doug at Walzer.com or call the studio live at 952-800-1492. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. That works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and <laughs> it's gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Welcome back to the show. This is the Tom Bernard Show. Tom is gone until, what, Thursday this week? Thursday, Friday? Yep. yep. Thursday. So I'll be sitting in with you for the next few days. I'm Dave Schrader. I'll be filling in as host. Uh, we are going to be joined in a few minutes by Kathy Kleiner. We're waiting for her to call in. Have any of you had a chance to sit down and watch the Bundy tapes yet? No, I have not. Mm-mm. Andy? I just started, but then I fell asleep. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't say much for it. I think this no. is actually an old show that they're re- doing because of the popularity of the Zac Efron movie that's coming out. Yes. Yeah. This guy this guy gets a lot of weird attention. You know, right now there's uh people fawning over how hot he is. You yeah. know, uh, which is which is weird anytime you see the mug shots and like yeah, girls. Well even so, you like... know, he's a good looking guy, but when you're watching a documentary about him being a killer and there's all this footage and you're like, Yeah, but I'd let him do me and you're like <laughs> You know what you he did, right? How yeah. shallow humans can get. What? Are you, what? Well, I can't believe people. Oh, let me. I wonder if I have this story up here. Hold on one second. This there's a news story that just came out that blew my mind. Uh, let me see if I can pull it up now. I can't, of course, I can't imagine the letters he got from women when when he finally got locked up. Right. Uh, I I mean he was okay looking. I didn't see the appeal of like. It, they made him pay, paint him like he was like a George Clooney. You right. know, like, oh, I mean, granted, he was better looking than most serial killers. Yeah, I was saying. <laughs> oh, but it was also the time and the yeah. era. He might have fit right in, looked good. Uh, so this is the headline of the article. Cops, woman killed husband to marry man serving life in prison. Mm. Yeah. 
So, and my computer's completely wigging out over here, Andy. I don't know what's what kind of shenanigans I'm dealing with. But, I think the uh, Wi-Fi might be having some problems. A little bit of issues there. Um, but people that are attracted to uh, killers and murderers. It's more and they common want to than marry, you think. Oh, I know. No, I'm fully aware. I've been doing true crime for eight years, and it's it's frightening. Yeah, and to go to the lengths of I'm going to murder my husband. So that so I, I could be with the guy who's in prison for yeah, life mm-hmm. for murdering someone. Yeah, there's something not all there with, with her. No, really? You think she, I mean, she's <laughs> such a looker, Tevin. It's hard to believe she was having trouble finding love in all the right places anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, not, yeah, but I shouldn't know. judge. It's not about looks. That's not it. It's the heart of a man. <laughs> a Missouri prison nurse who had an affair with a lifer may now face a life sentence of her own. Amy Murray, 40, has been charged with first-degree murder in the December 11th death of her husband, Joshua Murray. His body was found after a fire at the couple's home. Investigators determined that the fire was deliberately set and Joshua Murray was already dead, poisoned with antifreeze when it broke out. Police say Murray killed her husband because she wanted to marry Eugene Claypool, an inmate at Murray's workplace, the Jefferson City Correctional Center. Investigators say that according to recordings of prison phone conversations, Murray told uh, Murray, who was has an 11-year-old son, told Claypool that she wanted to divorce her husband and later told the inmate she could marry him because her husband was dead and out of the picture. That's what the News Tribune reports. Murray and Claypool, who had been behind bars since 2001 for the murder of a 72-year-old lottery winner, also discussed hiring an attorney to secure his early release. Her bail was set at $750,000 after she was charged. Holy Hmm. Christmas. That's love. Right there. Sounds like a smart lady. Andy, I know this. uh, you've got Valentine's Day in a few days from now. You don't think it's that important because you're lucky to have a woman who doesn't care about Valentine's Day. Which I think that's got to be a lie. I'm pretty sure that every Uh woman cares about it. Right. You can give me a balloon and a card. I'm fine. I'm not like. I don't need anything. I mean, a balloon and a card would be great. Until you saw what the neighbor lady got. And why didn't you do anything nice for me? And why was I sending the neighbor lady stuff anyway? That's the question. (laughs) Well, then, yeah, then I'd have an issue. <laughs> uh, no, you gotta you gotta be prepared for that. Even like I said, just a nice little uh, box of Twinkies or uh, something that says love, honey. You know that's love from me. Box I know. of Twinkies, giving it up to you that way. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, Andy, just please, please. So I'm getting, I'm getting don't anxiety. Buy the I'll for do you. something. <laughs> but not, I like he goes, and she doesn't want me to. Uh, <clears throat> get engaged on, on Valentine's Day either, but he's thinking about maybe doing it ironically. <laughs> I like that. How do you ironically propose? That's something Andy would do. Awesome. Yeah. At the end of the day, hey, you don't want to get married, do you? <laughs> Should we go get hit? How much you hated sure. Valentine's Day. Right. Yeah. Are you married? How about, Andy, this is what you do, right? You go and you get the wedding marriage certificate right now. You get it all handled. I'll get ordained in the next two days through the Universal mm-hmm. Church of Life. And then what we do is we set it up Hollywood style. You take her out for dinner, nothing big. Then you propose to her, and then we come out and perform the ceremony right on spot. That's yep. that's what you need to do. She won't be expecting that aspect no, of it. No, she would not. <laughs> Everything all in one day, one And your shot. mom and dad would love to have it happen when they're not here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, Skype we'll, <laughs> we'll Skype them in. We'll Skype them in. I'll walk you down the aisle, Andy. <laughs> Well, Andy, in Japan, there are all kinds of chocolate that women hand out on Valentine's Day. There's homeo chocolate, true feelings chocolate, that their romantic interests or partners receive as well as tomo choco, fried chocolate, given to platonic pals, usually other females. And then there's 
Giri Choco, a suite that's now known or has now come under fire as givers are starting to push back per Japan today. That's because the translation for that particular confection is obligation chocolate. <laughs> There's your irony. Wow. Order her a nice box of, uh, what, what's it called? Uh, giri Choco. Giri Choco. This is obligation chocolate, honey. And it's a gift that women are supposed to bestow on male co-workers on February 14th, except some are now balking at both the expense and the general idea behind it, claiming that this forced giving can lead to undue pressure at work and even harassment in certain cases. Calm down. Basically, some women feel coerced to give chocolates to certain coworkers to stay on their good side. But while it's true that guys are supposed to reciprocate with a small present on White Day a month later, Mm -hmm. the onus to make the right choices as to whom the Gyro or Giri Choco recipients will be, as well as how much to spend, falls on the ladies. A recent survey, however, shows that working women are pulling away from the practice, with 60% noting they're going to give a Valentine's Day gift of Godiva this year to themselves instead. Oh, you can't love the one you want, love who you are. No obligation, child. Although that sounds way better than, have you seen what they do now for chocolates to give to your man? No. They make a mold of a certain part of your body. No, not the part you're thinking. Ah. Wait, we're oh. talking uh, back door. Yeah, I... <laughs> yeah. Can you, you can buy, opening and it's that not box? just like it's not like they covered her Wait. in a shell of chocolate on the button and oh. removed it. They actually oh, write to the I spot. Saw this. Yeah, it's like those little yeah, yeah. The little ones like, that come in like the little packages. I yeah. saw an article about this. I thought this was a joke. I wonder if they put like a little Hershey kiss wrapper <laughs> thing. Uh, sticking it's on. Like, it's like, oh, yeah. Can you imagine opening that box of chocolates and be like? Yeah. <laughs> just, I'm certainly I, not going to eat it. Yeah. <laughs> that is so Yeah, the perfect so gift. Yeah. Of what? I'm not sure, but it's the perfect gift. Um, oh. That is just awkward and weird. People have strange predilections. <laughs> yeah, they yeah, do. There's, yeah, there's, there's one thing I've learned in my lifetime is that... Uh, Chocolate well, anuses are not good. Normal, yeah. There's nothing that's normal. Like people are into some weird stuff. Yeah. Like, and to them, it's completely normal, and they're more secure right. than I'll ever be. But I'm not eating a chocolate chocolate butthole. <laughs> you should try and get somebody for your podcast that do- has actually done that. Uh, I probably wouldn't be that hard to find. Like, we, went to, like, we went to Swinger Sex Fest, and that was just. Bizarre. Swinger Sex it Fest. Was, yes, there's stuff that Seems I a saw. bit redundant, doesn't it? Swinger Sex Fest? Yeah, I was like, you could have just left it at the Swinger Fest or just Sex Fest and people would have put two and two together, but yeah. Yeah, they had lube wrestling in dungeon rooms. and Really? How many did you partake in? Uh, I did not partake in any. I stayed to, uh, confined to our little podcast area because uh-huh. once I left the hallway, then it was, there was, yeah. The freak show was open? Yeah, yeah. Did you wear any fetish stuff? No. No? no. Come I, on. No. You gotta well, kind of be a part. You gotta evolve into these. Moments, I know I'm not. Stuff. I'm not secure enough. They're You're not. not <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. They. Uh, there was one uh, dominatrix lady that kept asking if she could whip me, and I was like, you know, that doesn't sound fun. Like, no. Not, yeah. Not since slavery. Yeah, I was gonna want. say. <laughs> we don't want does she? That. Does she really not see the? <laughs> she was good. The bad looking, context though. of that she was, though. She was good looking. I at least pondered it for like a split second. <laughs> but you're like, oh, like, you're beautiful. I might take a beating. <laughs> but then I was like, no, that actually does sound painful. I can't do that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not trying to cry in front of. No. Her. <laughs> I don't want to cry. I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's. You know what? Here's the weirdest fetish. I went to. Um, I used to go to Dragon Con in Atlanta, Georgia, and it is this huge fair. It takes place on. I think it's um, Labor Day. Is that September? Uh, yes. Yeah. So it's Labor Day weekend. 
and it's always there. They take they used to take up two or three of the hotels. Now they take up the entire downtown. It books up. There's like a hundred thousand people that go to this thing, and it's like a giant comic con, you know, mm-hmm. nerd convention. You can meet all these celebrities, you get pictures. It's great. I love it. It's a lot of fun. And people are dressed to the nines in crazy costumes. Yeah. And you talk to people and they're like, oh, yeah, I spent $18,000 to make this costume. Or, you know, I spent 425 hours to build this costume. But there's some great, like, there was a pink Darth Vader with Hello Kitty stickers on him. And it's hilarious. You can look him up online. It's just Hello Kitty Darth Vader. It's awesome. But there were all these great takes on costumes. And then I go out the one day. And you shwill a lot at that convention. Yeah. And I'm standing there with a few of my friends from a couple of the different programs. And we're drinking. And Anthony Michael Hall comes walking over, and he goes, can somebody tell me, please, what the F is going on down there? And he points. And there are all these people dressed like stuffed animals. Like the furry. Not like the furry. They were the furries. Ugh. This was my first indoctrination to them. And they're doing things. And and one of the guys calmly in their group just says, well, those are the furries. And I'm like, well, is that a cartoon series or something? He's like, no, no, no. People dress. And I go, so, well, how do you... So, like, the, the cute bunny is probably the girl? No, not necessarily. How about yeah. the unicorn? Either either way. So yeah. you don't even know who you're pretending to do things with. And it's just all about not even having actual. No, it's just, yeah. the. It's just the costumes rubbing against each other. They're gets yiffing. them off. Yeah. They're what? Yiffing. That's what they call it. They're what? Yiffing? Yiff. Why? I F F. Honey, let's thing. go home and yiff. <laughs> <laughs> too old. <laughs> I'm gonna be. I'm already fat and old. I'm gonna be in a costume, sweating on top of it. Dude, no, they uh, like speaking of furry. There was a furry convention in Bloomington. No, years years ago when I was working at the House of Comedy, and Big J Okerson, I remember, was in town. Oh yeah, and he mm-hmm. he calls me during the day, and he's like, "Hey, Tevin, like, I really need you to get me out of this hotel." Like there's people in costumes walking around like humping each other. Sex with yeah. each other. I was like, Jay, you like you're probably exaggerating, like, yeah, I'll get right on it. And whatever. Go to pick him up from the hotel. And just people everywhere, outside, like in the shade, trees, inside. He's like he told me he woke up at like whatever, like midnight and went down to get a bottle of water out of the vending machine and somebody was dressed as a crow, just like pecking at the buttons <laughs> on the <laughs> <laughs> oh lord! It's like that's when I made the decision to call you. <laughs> and tell you oh, you know, a whole new set of comedy <laughs> material. I want to see that on video. <laughs> like, oh my gosh! And like, I remember, like, because I told him I didn't even tell him I could confirm that, like, yeah, we can get you into a different hotel. I told him I was going to try. Oh I my god! I picked him up and he had his bags packed, standing on the side. Oh. <laughs> No option other than leaving this hotel. A, a furry, I have to see that furry convention, honey. Look it up. See if there's one around. We, you've got to see this. It's it's unbelievable. It's something. And we stood there, just in a row, silently, like Mount Rushmore of of awed shock, just staring, <laughs> watching it. I'm like, what is going on? Oh, but the best part, the best part is William Shatner gets ushered through the lobby, and he just stops and he looks around at all these animals humping each other in the lobby of this hotel. And then he looks up at the, the throngs of people looking down at him, and he gives us the shrug and just walks past. Oh, Captain Kirk, what have you seen? Uh, what a disturbing... Especially like if you're I said, not prepared for it. You know what, though? Hey, you're not out diddling kids. You know, right. I don't care. I don't care. It's, it's like it's... watching National Geographic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> My buddy Rick and I are driving once to a gig, and he was he's a singer in, in Illinois. We're driving to a gig, and we're hauling ass down this country road and all of a sudden he slams on the brakes and turns the car on. I go, what are you doing? He goes, 
I think I just saw the most weird thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I go, what's that? And we drive back. There is a dog standing on a bucket behind a cow, humping the cow. <laughs> the, the dog got up on the bucket to have his way with a cow. He goes, am I seeing this? He goes, I, I had to turn back around and look at this. How do you not look at a dog having mating with a cow? Uh. Oh. It's a weird world. Yeah. Weird world. Uh, We're going to take a break in a few seconds. I've got some other news stories while we wait for our guest to call in. She is on oh, the phone. Oh, she's on the phone. So All right, we'll great. Why don't we do this right we'll, after we get back? Yeah, we'll take that uh, break here in a, in a few seconds and come back. Uh, we've also got some other strange news stories to cover this week. Uh, so we'll do that. I'm here for you the rest of this week. Tom will be back Thursday or Friday, one or the two. Um, but I'll be sitting in with you as the host this week. I'm Dave Schrader. Go check out darknessradio.com. For updates and information on my program, you can hear me on Midnight in the Desert Monday through Friday and Beyond the Darkness every Saturday and Sunday. True Crime Tuesday every Tuesday. That's just a little bit of the way to find me. All right, we've got more to cover when we return. Stay tuned. This is The Tom Bernard Show. A program that benefits the homeowner and not the realtor? Do you want a guaranteed offer on your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl, who has some exciting news to share. Hey, Tom, we are super excited to announce our guaranteed offer program. Here's how it works. If you qualify, we will guarantee you an offer on your house within 48 hours, which means you could be closing in three weeks. No staging, no cleaning, no decluttering, and of course, no open houses. This is your hassle-free way to sell your home. If you qualify for the program, you will get a competitive offer in 48 hours, period. Sounds like a stress-free way to sell your home. It is, Tom. Some homeowners want the convenience to be able to sell their home quickly without going through the stress of showings, open houses, and so many more headaches, especially if they found their dream home and need to sell fast. You do need to qualify for this program, but that's quick and convenient as well. To see if you qualify for the guaranteed offer program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate, go to chrislindahl.com right now or call 763-401-SOLD. Once again, that's chrislindahl.com, Chris with a K. If you're tired of feeling frustrated because your clothes don't fit like they used to, then Nutramost is for you. Thanks to the Sheehy brothers and staff at Nutramost in Plymouth, I am down 92.5 pounds. The Nutramost program is amazing. I lost over 40 pounds during each of my first two 40-day rounds. You can have great success just like me because Nutramost is customized for each individual person, and the staff at Nutramost will be there for you every step of the way. Start your weight loss journey today and let Nutramost help change your life. Give yourself this wonderful gift or give this program as a present. Nutramost guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Nutramost helped me change my life and they can help you too. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. Welcome back to the program. This is the Tom Bernard Show. Sitting in for Tom Bernard, I'm Dave Schrader. Joining us now, Kathy Kleiner. And she's uh, here to talk to us about her story with the popularity of the documentary series on Netflix, the Bundy tapes, and uh, all of these different documentaries that are popping up, the stories and the new film starring Zac Efron. Uh, Kathy Kleiner is, is one of two uh, survivors from the notorious uh, attack he did in, in sorority house back in 1978. Kathy, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. There, uh, this is is such a, a strange and, and bizarre story. Now, if I remember correctly, is this the attack he did after he had escaped? Yes, he uh, he 
went to Florida State after his escape and uh, visited the University of um, FSU. And at that point is when he uh, he was there about a week before he came into the sorority house. And when this occurred, I mean, just to give some people some of the, the background on this, um, how, first of all, how did he gain access? Was the door just open? Was it through an open window? How exactly did he get into this? Um, he followed. He was at a bar, which was right close to our sorority house, and he actually followed one of the girls home through the back uh, parking area, and he saw that she just went right in the door and uh, went into the sorority house. The problem was there was a combination lock on that back door, and the lock was broken. And oh. for a couple of days, we've been saying, the lock's broken, and they're like, yeah, we'll get to it. So that's how we gain entrance to the sorority. And right back, right close to the back door, before he went in, we had a pile of firewood to use at our fireplace. And at that point, he picked up a piece of firewood and walked through the house, and that would be the item that he attacked all of us with. As, as he did this, I mean, I know this is very hard to discuss and everything, but did he just methodically go room to room um, attacking people? Were, were any of you aware of the attack as it was happening? He did go upstairs. Uh, it was obviously early in the morning, mm -hmm. and the lights were out in the hallway because he had actually unscrewed the light bulb in the sconces in the hallway so that it would make it extra dark in there. And when he went up the staircase, the first room on the left, <clears throat> excuse me, was Margaret Lisa, Margaret Bowman's room. When he went in, he closed the door and attacked Margaret. He strangled her and um, did other things to her. <clears throat> At that point, he um, covered her gently, pulled the sheets back up over her neck, and walked across the hall. And that was Lisa Leary's room. So when he went into her room, I believe he was more in a rage since he had he had attacked Margaret. I think when he came into the sorority house, he was kind of very methodical and looking around and see what he was going to do. And then when he actually got into Margaret's room, I think the attack just kind of made him frenzied, like that was too cold. He didn't have to um, take anyone. He didn't have to hand handicap anyone. Or kidnapped. So when he went into Margaret Lisa's room, I'm sorry, he attacked Lisa more brutally than he did Margaret. He um, actually did um, things about her, things to her that were pretty, pretty bad. And he also bit her a couple times, which ended up being the uh, one of the issues and one of the ways that he was um, was um, indicted by the court as being guilty. After he attacked Lisa's room, he came across the hall again to uh, my room. I shared the room with Karen, and she and I were sound asleep with double, uh, had twin beds against each other, I mean, away from each other with a, a, a chest in between, like a little locker, and that's where we kept all of our stuff. So that was the three rooms that he went into. When he uh, attacked, I mean, that... You know, each room had one girl in it, and then he went into your room with two girls. Uh, and it was your roommate the other survivor of this attack then? 
Yes, yes, she was. Um, that was that was something we've all thought about. Was when he went to Margaret's room, it was she was alone, and when he went to Lisa's room, she was alone. So at this point, I don't think he had control of even his um, his way that he did things and the way that he attacked. I think that he was just, like I said, in a frenzy. So when he came into our room, he opened the door, and I remember hearing him trip over the little trunk that was between our beds, Karen and mine. And I woke up at that point, and I looked up, and I remember seeing this black shadow, this form of somebody, and he lifted his arm over his head, and that's when he slammed a piece of firewood on me. And he did a couple of the, um, hit me a couple of times, and then my roommate woke up, so he went over to attack her, and then he came back to my side because he never left it, any victims alive. And at that point, he um, he left our room because he thought uh, shites, I'm sorry, light shown up in our bedroom, and he thought he was seen by the driver of that car. So that's when he left the sorority and ran out the door. Oh my God! So how? Where did he? Was he striking you on the head? Body parts? What? What was the the extent of the attack? He. Uh, he, he striked me on my head and uh, my shoulders. I was sleeping on my left side, so um, my right side of my face. He um, broke my jaw in three places. I bit my tongue almost off, and I had lacerations on my cheek that actually folded over back to my ear. Oh. So there was a big, um, like, hole, a hole there, and um, lacerated my shoulder pretty bad. In his opinion, do you think he had done you in, or was he just more worried about getting caught because the car lights panned so. through your room? Yeah, I think that was it, because um, he would have stayed, I believe, and just from our room gone into the next room and the next, um, because of his state of mind. But I do think he only thought he was seen by the car lights, and I think that was the only um, the way we we didn't die is because it's almost like the light shone up and kind of illuminated the room and he ran out and it was like, wow, that's cool. Cause even with my eyes shut after being attacked, I could see the light in the room with my eyes closed. And it was almost like a comforting feeling that I knew it was over cause he was going to be gone at that point. Did he speak to you or your roommate at all? Was there anything, you know, either threatening or being said, or was he just a silent killer? He was just, yeah, he was just silent, and when he was beating me, he didn't say anything. He was just just hurt, you know, um, attacking me with the oak. And it's weird because it didn't hurt the first couple of blows. It felt like a thud. It felt more like like pressure, and it wasn't a sharp pain like I thought it would be or you thought it was just like a, a dud, and it made it kind of numbed me a bit at that point. And then he attacked Lisa. I mean, I'm sorry, Karen, and then he came back and was going to finish me off. And that's when the light shone up. So um, I don't think he would have left us, excuse me, left, left us alive. So he takes off. Why did he stop beating your roommate to come back to you? Had he thought he finished her already? I think he um, heard me um, making, he may have thought that, but he heard me making noise. I remember in my in my mind, I was screaming my lungs out. I was screaming and yelling, 
and all I was doing was moaning when you could actually hear me right. because my pen and um, was not working. So it was weird because I was screaming. I thought, where is everybody? Why isn't anyone helping us? So I think I was making enough noise that he came back to my side of the room. All right. Um, once he leaves, how, how do you go about getting help? Uh, did you black out at any point? At that point, Karen, my roommate, actually stumbled out into the hall, stumbled out into the hallway, and one of the girls in the sorority house was walking down the hall at that point and saw Karen. So she turned around and just walked her right back into our room, and that's when she saw me, and obviously noticed um, the traumatic thing that had happened. So at that point, she called 911, and that's when all the paramedics and the police officers. And everyone came, and that's when help saved us. Did you see him, or was he just a dark silhouetted figure in your room? He was just a dark shadow, a dark silhouette of the man. He did have on dark clothes and a dark ski mask, so you know he wasn't he wasn't someone that you could just actually look at. And um, I was so just disoriented; I I didn't see his face, which. I guess it's good because I don't have that image right. that I've had to overcome by seeing his face. So that's all, that, to me, that's a good thing that I didn't actually see him. Are you uh, one of just a few actual survivors of his rage, do you know, or, or have more come forward through time? Um, I am a few, one of the few. Um, I believe there was one in Utah or Seattle and Karen and I. And then there was another... Um, another woman down the street from us in a, in a duplex there on FSU campus. And she was attacked as well. He broke into her window. So after he attacked the four of us, he still wasn't through. He was still in that unmanageable rage that I just, I can't say it enough how horrible it must have been. And um, he attacked Nancy. And then he left and left the area. How long was it before you guys realized that the attacker was, in fact, Ted Bundy? It was quite a while. Um, I left Tallahassee about a week after the incident. And um, actually, I went, they took me back to my bedroom to ask if I had seen at the sorority to see if I had missed anything or had he taken anything. And I remember walking into the bed, my room, and it was just. Scattered. I mean, it was like a paintbrush and red paint just splattered all over everything. And where there wasn't that, there was black um, dust for taking fingerprints from the officers. And I remember looking at my bed sheets, and I had just gotten that bedspread like a couple weeks before. And of all things to go through in my mind when I saw there was blood all over the ceiling and the walls, and my bedspread was just covered. I, I thought, oh, my bedspread's roaring. <laughs> and that's, that's how things don't make sense right. when you're in that traumatic situation that, um, that I occurred to that. But it was a while before we knew it was um, Bundy. We, I remember when he was first um, taken into custody, I'm like, we didn't know this guy. I didn't know this guy from in Tallahassee. I was a freshman. I was having fun and... You know, I didn't think of anything other than fun. Right. So um, I didn't, it didn't mean anything to me when he was caught. And in my mind, yeah, he'll probably get caught, you know, they'll catch by three or four other guys before they decide who did it. 
So his name didn't mean anything to my family or to me at that point. How long did it take for you to recover from those injuries physically? Um, well, physically and emotionally, it has taken... Um, I st- still have TMJ. I have surgeries on my jaw. I have three. Uh, I have two pins in the joint by the ear and one um, closing my jaw at the chin. But you know what? All those injuries and all the things I went through, I feel that, you know, it made me stronger because I knew I was going to get through this. It was just a matter of time for me to heal and I could go on. Um, I was diagnosed with lupus when I was in sixth grade. And I know I didn't want that to hold me down. I wanted to be in high school and enjoy life. I didn't want to be homebound for another school year. So when I went through this, it was like, you know, I had to recover and recuperate, but mentally I wanted to get done with it. I wanted to put it behind me and keep going. Um, so I did. I just, you know, since that in my life, I've had two miscarriages. I've had breast cancer diagnosed with stage two. Um, I've had some other things I've helped, had to deal with, but you know, it's worth it because it's great. You know, life's wonderful. It's what you make of it. And I don't think I'd ever sit in a corner and just feel sorry for myself because no one wants to see you like that, your right. family or your friends. That I don't, I wouldn't want to be like that. Kathy, thank you for giving a face and a voice and names to the victims so that people can remember this isn't about Ted Bundy's story. It's about these four girls, five girls that were, that were attacked and, and that there's much more to this story. I, can't even imagine what it must be like for someone uh, that survived this attack to see the kind of popularity this animal has gotten over the years. So thank you for coming forward and, and sharing your information with us today. Thank you very much. I do find that talking about it heals me. So I appreciate you giving me this opportunity to talk with you. Certainly. Kathy Kleiner, thank you very much. And when your book comes out, please let us know and we'll make sure to have you back. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you. Stay tuned. We've got more coming right here on the Tom. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry, This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Sabre and Bryant, whatever it takes. Tom Bernard here to tell you, Priority Courier Experts has immediate openings for drivers looking for more. Priority drivers are independent contractors who set their own hours, start from their own driveways, and deliver local on-call parcels and freight, which means you're home for dinner every night, and you get paid weekly. Right now, Priority's driver-friendly lease-to-own program has brand-new dock trucks, flatbeds, curtain sides, and tractor trailers just waiting to be driven home. And Priority is also offering a $4,000 sign-on bonus to qualified drivers. So if you've got the skills, we can get you qualified to start driving a brand new truck in as little as three days. Calling all drivers. Come get the $4,000 sign-on bonus you deserve for all the knowledge and experience you bring to the delivery business. Call our fleet reps right now at 651-748-4477 or visit them online at Priority.com. Priority Courier Experts. Every time you call us, we deliver.
We trying to lighten the mood after yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Kathy Klein, uh, a really fascinating story. As a matter of fact, Kathy will be joining me in a few weeks on True Crime Tuesday. We're going to go a little deeper into this and talk uh, a much more rounded version of this story. But it was, I got to give her credit, you know, coming forward and talking about this right now in this media hype. And I, I want to talk to you guys about this too. I mean, we can never thankfully put ourselves in that position to know what it feels like to have survived something or, or be related to somebody that was attacked by him. But even our fascination and interest, I mean, Ted Bundy is one of the most popular, and I hate to use that word, serial killers out yeah. there. He, he was very good looking for his time. He was, he was very popular with people. Nobody saw it coming. What I'm blown away by is the amount of affection and attention this guy gets. You know, I'm watching social yeah. media, and they're like, oh, my God, have you been watching? And there's this mix of, of just hatred and absolute passion for this guy. This, oh, he's what an animal. But, you know, he could, he could come into my sorority room any night. And you're like, you do realize what he did to these people. Yeah, there's definitely a level of insensitivity that is going around with this, and it's like almost making him like a celebrity. And then for her, that's got to be very heartbreaking and mm-hmm. tough to deal with because it's like, well, she almost got killed by this guy, and you guys are all not celebrating what he did, but it's like making a kind of putting a positive spin a little bit at least on him as a person. It's yeah. a, according to this, at points, the onslaught feels pitiless, she says, of all of the things that she's had to watch and endure. In 2018, Kleiner signed up for a Twitter. And a Ted Bundy fan account responded to her first tweet saying, oh, there you are, Kathy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Now here's, okay. So here's something uh, very strange. I I did a show um, on, it was released on Christmas Day for our true crime program. I did this show on Arthur Shawcross, who is a horrific murderer, right? And he was convicted on 11 counts of murder. And he had created this book. It's called The Shawcross Letters. Mm-hmm. And he talks about um, this this f- kind of friendship he develops with Ar- Arthur Shawcross and the information Arthur Shawcross gave him. And as I started talking to him, he admits that he collects murderabilia and things like that. And then the real story was the guy I was speaking to, John, because he uh, was one of the most unique interviews I've ever done. He could empathize and understand guys like Bundy and well, more like Ed Gein and uh, Dahmer mm-hmm. because he also was in constant combat within himself for wanting to kill and eat people. And we had this, so this conversation took a, a left turn that I, I never saw coming. Right. And I realized, my God, I'm, I'm talking to a potential serial killer. And that's kind of where the interview went from that point is trying to get an understanding of him and hear the story between him and Shawcross. But this is, that was disturbing. But then at one point, Shawcross realizes that these two women that he's been corresponding with are taking his letters and selling them on eBay. So he decides he doesn't like that, especially because he's not getting a cut. Right. Now, he's worked out a deal with my guest that, here, I'll create these things and you and I split the money. Whatever you make, I get I get portions of. Okay. Um, but he finds out. And then he sends my guest pictures of these couple of people. And he's like, they really need to go. So he was basically sicking somebody that he knew already had this predilection on them. And he never, to his credit, he didn't act on it. But that was, I mean, that's setting the timer. Oh, yeah, you're lighting the fuse. And that's terrifying to me. And I wonder how many of these serial killers are like that. There's a There was a movie, and I'm trying to remember. 
it was a movie or documentary about Gacy and this guy that was doing um, research on him and working with him and how Gacy would have cost him in jail. And Gacy was treated almost like royalty in prison. And the guards, they treated him well. I mean, it's just, there's so many weird layers of serial killers yeah. and their popularity. And people would come and, and leave gifts and money into their accounts constantly. And you're like, they're not even saying he didn't do it and he's been wrongfully convicted. The allure was, he's a killer. Yeah. yeah and I want to know him. I want to be yeah. his friend. And, you know, I understand wanting to get into the mind of a killer and understand why you would do something. I, unfortunately, lost a very good friend of mine. Um she was, uh, so gosh, it's got to be 29 years ago now. She was um, pregnant, nine months pregnant with this guy's kid, and she had another baby with him and then two other kids. And this guy, Laverne Ward, along with Fidel Caffey, his friend, and, and uh, Laverne's cousin, uh, Annette Williams, she wanted, she was fixed, and she wanted a light-colored baby. And Fidel Caffey, I think, was... Uh, Cuban or some kind of uh, different ethnicity, but he was lighter and he wanted, so they wanted to match that look. Well, my friend Debbie was white and, and Laverne Ward was very dark. So she knew that she would get a good mix. So she started feigning a pregnancy during the entire time Debbie was pregnant. And then a week or so before her, her birth, they went in and shot her and cut her open and stole the baby and then tortured and murdered her daughter and then ended up catching one of her other kids and killing him brutally and they made it out. So I understand the concept of wanting to understand what goes on in your mind right? that this makes sense. And what's really uh, unnerving to me is, okay, you're, you're nuts. Mm -hmm. I get that. But you're hanging out with him and her, and they're going along with this, and they're saying, you know, yeah. Once how you about bring, if we do this? Yeah, once you bring more people into it, it's like, what are the odds that you have right. three crazy people that all and Now, with together? the advent of the internet and connectivity, how many of them are, are in pods? Yeah. Right. I mean, I there are times I wonder how close to the purge we are without knowing it, you know, not making it a nationally d deal. But I just wonder how many of these groups have gotten together and have decided we should start doing stuff, you know, uh, because one or two of you start to encourage people. It's it's nuts enough. But how do you even broach it in a conversation? You guys are all sitting around eating TV dinners watching Maury Povich and all of a sudden they're like you know wouldn't it be funny you want a baby so bad wouldn't it be funny if we just killed my ex and stole her baby and you guys raised it yeah I mean how does that even come into the conversation and then at that point for them to go hey you think we could get away with that I mean it's so unbelievable to me yeah that's that's a that's a deep uh, that's a deep one to jump into because most of the time you think like if you're sitting around with your friends or something and you're like oh we, we should do this if it's like a crazy idea you at least always We'll pause, but yeah, you know, like we don't want to do right. We've all X, said at one time, man, I'd like to shove her down an empty elevator shaft, right? right? But then you all kind of laugh and you're like, uh, oh, that's why there's prison, Dave, yes. right? Okay, yeah, and yeah. you know, there's that that voice, but what is it that you know? And, and I read some of these people, and I said, what's always fascinated me is you know, I was I was bullied as a kid, I went through a lot of similar things that a lot mm -hmm. of serial killers went through. Why is it that my little switch goes, no, that'd be pro, you know, not not a proactive thing to do at all. You'll never see the people you love again. And to somebody else, it's like, oh, Tevin's got to go. Yeah. No, no, Tevin's got to go. And it's not like Tevin's got to go. Boy, I wish I could do something. It's like, all right, so how do we get him? You know, that's – I don't understand that mindset. No, yeah, there's got to be like – and isn't there like a serial killer like 
not gene, but like it's like there's a chemical imbalance in your brain. Well, or they've like they that found that. some issues in some serial killers' brains, and I can't remember the exact um, statement about it, but. Yeah, they found some some of those weirdnesses, and now you've got CTE, so people that have got mm-hmm. head injuries, uh, and and I can attest to that fact. I got struck in the head a couple times. You know, my dad was one of those kind of guys hit first, ask questions later, growing up, and you know he would have never done it knowing what he knows. But I know how quick to rage I can get. Yeah, never to the point I'm really ready to kill somebody, but you can feel that. And there's sometimes like hey, you just can't stop the trigger, and it hits you, and you get mad, and you scream and yell and act like a jackass, and then it goes away. But for some of these killers, it's like. Once that flip switch goes, there's no bringing, there's no reeling back. Mm. And that's, that's fascinating. And so I can understand writing to try to get an understanding, but a lot of these authors too will tell you, I start liking the guy. Yeah. And you can see why so many people believed in him and I like him and I was friends and I actually went at his request. I was one of only two people there to witness his execution. And you're like, why do you sound okay with that? No, it, and that's a very weird because even like on our show, like we'll talk to like gangbangers and mm-hmm. stuff that have done committed crimes, and I'll be like going into it. You're like, no, this is a guy that's not a good person. But then as you're talking to them, you're like, oh, you know, like I can see myself hanging out with this guy. And it's like weird how when somebody you're like you're talking to somebody, they're able to be charismatic and they're right. very and charming. Can... Sociopaths yes, and they psychopaths are, are mm-hmm. very. Charming. That's what they're good at. They just lack that empathy and compassion that normal humans have they yeah. don't have that yeah like we had a sereno on our show and he told us a story about they broke in him and some of his gang members broke into a house and it was like a middle-aged couple they tied him up forced him to smoke meth and then told him like we were gonna that they were gonna kill him and i remember listening to the story and being shocked but then like later as some of us telling uh talking to some friends they're like oh like how that episode goes like, oh he was actually he wasn't that bad of a guy and i was like wait no 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 he, he actually, he's, <laughs> yeah, no no he's yeah, yeah. he's a horrible human yeah, being but yeah as long as you're not at the end of his meth rage right, yeah. right, meth field rage <laughs> oh that's uh but then to see you know there are now i, I will give ebay credit um you know there's a, a basketball card uh, that's famous, and it's a rookie card, I think, for some basketball player. But you can't sell it on eBay because the Menendez brothers are sitting courtside, and they're in the picture in the oh, card. So it's considered wow. a piece of murderabilia. So you're not allowed to sell it online. Uh, but there are there are websites where you can go buy autographs, pictures. As a matter of fact, what was this? Uh, I just saw something in Newser. Somebody's selling. Um, well, I mean, this is bigger than just a serial killer. This is the serial killer to end serial killers. But uh, there's artwork of Adolf Hitler's that's being sold right now. That he painted himself? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because yeah. he was a painter. Yeah, yeah, that's why they said he got bitter, because he was mm-hmm. a failed artist or yep. something. Like, no one would buy his stuff. No one would buy my stuff. Let's kill the Jews. <laughs> yeah. That's a good correlation. <laughs> how do you how do you make that? That's one of those kind of things I'm not sure how you, again, make that leap of, of logic, right? Well, when you're dealing with a psychopath, it's yeah. like, what? There is a funny picture, and I, I hate to even say this, but there's a funny picture of Adolf Hitler, and he's on the phone, and he's got that kind of coy smile on his face. And the meme underneath it says, Nine, you hang up first. <laughs> <laughs> and you, oh, God. But it's just, I can't imagine what it's got to be like for her to watch this. Every few years, Bundy comes back mm. yeah. to, the, to the deals. You know what's really creepy is the... Um, the prison guards, there are a couple of prison guards who were silenced because they would see Bundy, his ghost at the prison, and it would show up in the prison walkways, and they would not go alone into the electric chair room. 
because there were many times they'd open up the door and Ted would still be sitting there smiling at them. And they were, they were told, you don't speak about this. So a couple of them came forward after they retired to talk about this. There are a few other jail cells that he has been in that people have seen Ted Bundy. And these are law enforcement officials. And they're like, it's, it's completely unnerving and terrifying. Now, when we did an interview uh, a few years back on the show and we were talking about this, he said, you know, I, I just asked, I go, how does this happen? You know, because you hear some of the creepy stuff he did as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then I said, how it makes you wonder, could a person like this be possessed? And he said, well, here's a story I don't even have in the book, but, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact deal, but he's talking about the fact that during one of the uh, days in court, they found the body of one of his victims. And that was going to change a lot in how this thing was going to progress. And the, they told the attorneys and the attorneys told Ted and they said he actually physically started to change his appearance and the scent and everybody in the court was recognizing the scent of sulfur just started to kind of emit from him. And then if you watch right at the beginning of the, uh, like if you go to Netflix and you watch mm-hmm. the little trailer they do, yeah. one of his attorneys makes a comment and says, you know, Ted could be a great guy and he's so easy to talk to. And he said, and he had the bluest of eyes, but every now and again, as he would talk to him, his eyes would go completely black. So he would have the lightest blue eyes that would turn completely black. So, <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, that gives you a whole new perspective uh. on this. And I don't want to do the devil made me do it nonsense. And we've done shows on that on our True Crime podcast at True Crime Tuesday. Uh, but that that gets really, uh, you know, unnerving when you realize, yeah, maybe there is something to that darkness taking over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wish I could remember it right now, but we did the interview. We talked to the guy about it, and it was something very disturbing about the... Um, he had done something to his aunt or so, and he was so young at a very young age. Wasn't it where like she woke up and he was standing like beside her on the bed and he had like a butcher knife? Yeah. Like underneath oh, yeah. the blanket or yeah. something with her? Like up right. against her leg. And I, I was asking him some questions. We had some weird stuff. If people are interested, they can they can subscribe to my podcast at True Crime Tuesday. Just go to darknessradio.com, click the true t- True Crime Tuesday, and you'll find out how to log in and, and subscribe. But uh, we cover all those going back about two, three years of shows on that network. But there, Bundy's a weird cat, and, and it, it strikes in so many different levels. But I'm glad Kathy's out there reminding people it's not about Ted Bundy. It's these victims he left in his wake. Right. And that's that's what needs to be remembered. Um, you know, we, we get so trapped with who this person is and why they did it that we forget to, to learn about who his victims were. And that's that's really heartbreak. Uh, that's it for today. We will be back tomorrow. Uh, I'll be back filling in for Tom tomorrow, Wednesday, possibly Thursday, while they're out in uh, Key West with the KQ Morning Show. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll be back here tomorrow on the Tom Bernard Show.